You're listening to Arsenal Pass, a flesh and blood podcast for players by players. And all about strategy, leveling up, and the latest news in the world of Wraith. Welcome to Arsenal Pass. Welcome back, everyone, to episode 48 of Arsenal Pass. I'm Brendan Patrick, joined always by calling champion Hayden Dale. Hayden, how are you doing? I'm great, Brendan. How are you? I'm okay. <laughs> Been better, but oh, we'll nevertheless, even we'll even out. We'll even out. I'm great. You're okay. Yeah. We're good. We're yeah. good. I'm kind of sh- no. I'm kidding. Um. So yeah. So today we're gonna be you know we're gonna be talking about ProQuest up until now. We're gonna be discussing the win rates of the heroes so far as you know, just try and dissect the overall data that we've gotten. Thanks so much to Tower Number Nine for recording all of that. You can find it on Fab TCG. But we have a good amount of information and data to pull from here. And me and Hayden are going to try to figure out what that tells us about the classic constructed format right now. We're also going to weigh in with our overall thoughts on Everfest regarding how it has impacted the format, both from a meta perspective and a gameplay perspective. I.e., is this format actually fun? <laughs> but first, Hayden, how was your week in Flesh and Blood? Yeah, I had a, I had a good week. I uh, played a weekend of ProQuest, so second weekend in a row of two ProQuests, which is the season's goal. Cool. I love the season. Like, it's... It's four weeks of events, right? And I think because of the quick nature of the turnaround, we're seeing a lot of shifts in the meta, which I'm sure we're going to talk about. It gives you the opportunity, I think, to, to try new things. So <laughs> I called my shot last week on the pod. I said I was going to play a Brute. I said I was probably going to play Olivia. I did play Olivia on Saturday. Uh, I put together a list that was kind of an iteration on a previous list that I had for Olivia, but really trying to target Prism and Star of the Show. Uh, round one, I played Katsu. Round two, I played uh, Lexi, and it didn't didn't go too well for me. I wasn't say I wasn't as prepared for those matchups, in the aggro matchups, um, and it felt very tough. That's for sure. Did not uh, did not go well. So started off 0-2, Decided to play one more round. Paired into Prism. Uh, put the put the beat down on a Prism, and then, and then dropped and left, and uh, <laughs> went and, went and chilled out for a bit, and then uh, got dinner with a lot of the local group because it was a double header. <clears throat> so the local group were kind of hanging around for the weekend. And then on Sunday, uh, drove up north a couple of hours to another ProQuest where I decided to sleep up Prism. Uh, Viserai, rather. Did not play Prism. Viserai. Wanted to play Viserai. Played it in week one. Uh, wanted to play it again. It's a, you know, it's a deck I really like to play. And um, ended up splitting the finals with a, a friend, a uh, good friend of mine from our local. Uh, he basically runs all of our events here locally for RC Crew, who had the Australian Nationals. So uh, Ryan got his PCI, which is awesome stuff. And um, yeah, just, just an all-around good weekend. So. Awesome. So yeah, um, I also played an event. Uh, Tim Bun, uh, fellow Bun brother, uh, <laughs> actually came down to to Texas and he stayed with me on Friday night. And we played an event on Saturday at Reaper Game Store. Um, fortunately, we both went X two. Didn't make it. Um, kind of a reoccurring theme of my ProQuest season so far. But yeah, on my end, I think uh, my performance or lack thereof has been there's been some factors that i've not been able to control um that are outside of flesh and blood so kind of chalking it up to some of that but still just keeping my you know my head in the sand testing and focusing you know on the pro tour which is really that's really my goal for this year i think so you know taking a few bad beats in a row but I'm okay with it <laughs> hey that's appropriate season you know i mean you've you've got an invite or two invites locked away and uh, Indies coming up. That's that's a, a big one, and then of course the Pro Tour. Not not long away. You know, I mean, what are we in mid March almost now? So Pro Tour is less than two months away, or just on two months away, which is 
pretty exciting. Yeah, I'm also going to qualify off of uh, what they call Boomer XP. So <laughs> off of uh, Lifetime XP, I'm thinking I'm going to get a qualification off of that because I'm ranked 70. Um, so yeah, I'm, pretty, I'm definitely locked for the Pro Tour with that many PTIs, and I should be locked for every Pro event in 2022 because I believe from the information that we have right now, you need three. So I'll get on my end. Anyway, Hayden, enough of that. Let's talk about the news. Yeah, let's do it. I uh, want to shout out something we shouted out last week as well was our sort of our collab with LSS. We've had um, some videos go up on fabtcg.com, some uh, the EverFest ProQuest gauntlet, basically. So me and Brendan have been running in sort of some of the top decks of this ProQuest meta into one another. Uh, we've had six heroes, three matches, two uh, up. And I think by the time this pod drops, actually the third and final will be up ready for the final weekend of ProQuest season where for the last one, I'm on Lexi and uh, Brendan's on Briar. Uh, running back a, another Runeblade. The earlier game in the week, we played Chain versus Viscera, which was a really interesting matchup, I think. And a lot of interesting discussion points came out of that game, which is really cool, especially around the final turn of that game. So if you haven't checked them out, you can see those on Flesh and Blood's YouTube channel. If you go to fabtcg.com, uh, there's articles there with links to the deck list we played as well. So you can check all those out. It was a very, very fun thing to do. I'm glad we, we got to do it, Brendan. And um, yeah, I look forward to hopefully doing something like that again in the future. But in terms of gameplay, we will be back with some gameplay on our own channel uh, following this probably in the next couple of weeks. There's a couple of matchups I really want to play, Brendan. You know, there's a few things we've talked about over the season because we haven't played many games. Basically, I, we've played more games on camera than we have off camera in the past probably three months, right? If, if not. Yeah. yeah. Have, <laughs> we even played, have we played any games? Um, I, don't even, I don't even think so. Not We had a, a few games before uh, Australian Nationals, but yeah, due to my... My time change, right? I'm, I'm unable to kind of do morning testing anymore. Hayden and I actually haven't been playing very much. Um, but yeah, <laughs> which, oh, well, we see. Once we stopped testing, Hayden, I stopped winning and you, you kept winning. I think we know who the problem is here. We, every time we play a game on camera, I seem to lose most of them. So I don't know. <laughs> Maybe that's why you only want to play on camera now. It's okay. Um, I mean, you, you lose on camera for a YouTube video. I just do it in person at every pro <laughs> event, so... Yeah, pick, pick the lesser of the two evils. Uh, that's true, I'll take it. All right, well, yeah, go check those out. Uh, and as I say, me and Brendan will be back to some gameplay on our own YouTube channel, Arsenal Pass, in the future. And actually, in the lead up to Indy, got a couple of cool ideas uh, that we're going to float onto the YouTube channel at some point. We're ready for Indianapolis around, you know, the meta decks that are out there and um, just previewing the event, really. So... Other than that, we also had a, an awesome giveaway from Legend Story Studios as well for a golden ticket, which we gave away uh, yesterday or two days ago by the time this pod comes out. And our winner was uh, Zach Roach. So congrats to, congrats to Zach, who's got a golden ticket for the event. He already reached out and got, got his ticket all sorted. So he's going to be there um, and he's going to pick up those nice goodies from LSS and Star City Games. Skirmish Season 4, Brennan, is kicking off March 26th to April 17th. We already knew about it, but um, fabtcg.com did publish, you know, official sort of uh, timelines. And you can go check out the store locator. I think all events are now in there, so you can go and see what's local to you for the skirmish season. It's all blitz, uh, which is interesting. You know, in the past we've had, I think one and two were split, right? And then season yeah. three was uh, blitz and now blitz again. So I wonder if we'll see the return of, of limited into skirmish season um yeah i can't remember if number one was blitz only no it was well yeah yeah so and i remember that it was actually i think that like the the stores that were more established got the limited ones well you know maybe newer stores or stores that had less of a relationship with uh with lss actually got the the blitz one so it's interesting to see us move to full 
um, fully blitz. I'm assuming that's because we had a set come out that was, you know, a supplemental set. So, you know, the Makes limited sense. format isn't necessarily fresh per se, but, uh, yeah, I'm kind of, I'm kind of bummed. I, I would, those, I, I'll, I'll kind of get out of my house for limited. It's harder to get me to, you know, travel, um, to for these blitz? events for, for blitz. Yeah. I stand corrected actually. So last season, sorry, was a split format because we had draft as well, which I love that draft, uh, yeah, skirmish yeah. was awesome, but the, sorry, season two was blitz only. And season one was uh, sealed and and blitz. So, yeah, I don't know. I would um, I'd love to see that limited format come back again for skirmish. But probably once we get to the next set, uh, because of course we've already done a skirmish season with Tales of Aria draft. But I'd love to see a um, you know the next draft format be included in skirmish as well. I think it's a really cool thing to see. So we shall see what happens there. Moving on as well, uh, there's a really great article up on Fab TCG that just went uh, went live two days ago from you know a friend of the show, someone we've had on time in the round before, and Indianapolis caster Brian Gottlieb. I'm really excited to see that Brian is going to be around Flesh and Blood coverage. Uh, I've seen him you know through Magic coverage. If you if you are a Magic player, you might have seen the same through the SCG tour. Brian is a mainstay from there and did a lot of coverage for you know Magic over the years, a lot of writing as well, and is now you know dipping his toe into flesh and blood i mean to be honest brian actually he joined us in time around what mid last year so brian's been playing yeah. flesh and blood for a while now and finally making the move over to you know doing some coverage and writing some articles uh so yeah go check that out five reasons you should be at, at indianapolis if you can make it brendan you'll be there yeah actually it's reason was... number six that's a super secret <laughs> reason number six is brendan will be there i will be there hopefully uh hopefully i don't take another l on camera surely surely i'm gonna break my streak um yeah just want to also shout out all of the patrons, of course, of Arsenal Pass. The support is amazing, um, and it really ha- helps Hayden and I do what we do. And it's incredible to think, too. I mean, I think I've mentioned this the past, <clears throat> you know, three pods, but we are getting close to that, 52 th- that 52nd episode, Hayden. So almost one year of doing this. And I think, you know, looking at that number, it's incredible to look back at our growth thus far. Um, but yeah, if you're interested in the Arsenal Pass Patreon, there are tons of, there is tons of extra content on there, including extra podcasts, deck techs, deck guides. And some other spicy stuff. It also gives you access to the Discord, where you can talk to Hayden and tell him what you think of his decks, and ask him for deck lists whenever. Right, Hayden? Hey, I'm I, yeah, I'm always on there. Come come drop by for a chat. If we if we at Brendan enough times, he pops in as well. So um, yeah, no, thank you to to everyone. And uh, you know, we also through this ProQuest season, both Brendan and myself have been putting up our deck lists and our sideboard sort of plans and and loose guides that we've had. Uh, for each of the events that we've gone to so for viscerai i've done mine prism we both did ours um so yeah it's been it's been i did an updated reinar guide as well so yeah no awesome stuff and a big thank you to everyone as you say and you know like you say 52 episodes coming up brendan i think we're gonna have to do something to celebrate i think we're gonna have to stump up on our side for a bit of a giveaway i think uh i think we've you know maybe got a, a few locked away your gold foil that you haven't opened yet <laughs> you're opening it on this podcast i forgot to ask you now that you've reminded me via a giveaway Ah, oh, we'll see. We'll see when we get to episode fifty-two how we feel. <laughs> but you know, I think we've got a few playmats locked away in the in the cupboard for a special time like this. Uh, so mm-hmm. maybe we'll do a few giveaways and, and things for episode fifty-two. It is fast approaching. Looking forward to it. Yeah, for sure. Well, Hayden, it is that time of the day. I'm a little famished myself, but I know I got my friend from down under over here, and he can put a mean shrimp on the Barbie. So why don't you start us off in this community cookout section? Do you know when I moved to Australia, really disappointed. I've never, ever heard someone say, put another shrimp on the barbie. Literally, ever. They don't I've never say heard it, it myself uh, either over here. Doesn't, doesn't kind of just came up with it on the fly. Yeah, Crocodile Dundee, mate. 
Uh, <laughs> all right, Commander Cookout, we've got a question from the King of None through the Arsenal Pass Discord. Thank you for the question, King of None. I like this question. I think it's a great question. And uh, Brendan, I'm sure you'll have a few thoughts about this just as we've, you know, we're in the middle of the ProQuest season. I think we've actually even had this discussion a little bit between us. Question is, when making decisions regarding deck choice for events, how much does deck complexity come into account? I'm struggling with the concept that I believe Viscerai is the best deck, but that nearly every loss, with a few starver related exceptions, I've taken this ProQuest season is due to my own mistakes. On the other hand, a deck like Bravo Star of the Show is inherently much less complicated, and a lot of players I really respect are sticking with them because of that raw power and simplicity. Though there is the downside of having less agency over the course of the game. So yeah, back to the question. Uh, when making decisions regarding deck choice for events, how much does deck complexity come into account for you, Brennan? So, I remember we had this conversation a lot back in the days of Chain, and I think if people are going to... A lot of people's first... The first idea that will come to mind when I say that is going to be, oh, you're just like yellowing people with Chain. And now, it was actually this, um, this, this game plan we had into Fatigue. It was very ment mentally taxing and actually quite challenging to pull off um, and didn't have a lot of room for error. So I remember back in those days was really when I thought about this question a lot um, because inevitably we would have to play a lot of those matches and it was, it was mentally fatiguing. And I think it's something to consider. I know on my end, uh, it ended up being not nearly as impactful as I thought, especially at a pro event, maybe because I came in with so much practice that I felt very comfortable, um, whether it was into a matchup that required more, more mental sort of bandwidth uh, versus another that maybe didn't. So for me, uh, it hasn't played much of a factor, but I think that's more of a practice thing. The thing that I do consider that is sort of an outside variable is how long it will take me to <laughs> make a decision for my turn. So that chain deck would inevitably come down to like the final turn of the game or the final two turns of the game that were infinitely more complex than every other turn that you had, you had done prior to that. And playing at a pro event, specifically playing on coverage, um, you're not allotted a lot of time mm -hmm. to think about those turns, regardless of how much you've taken on you know, previous to that, which is standard. I'm not saying that's a bad system, but I do actively try to avoid decks where I know I'm going to get to this sort of crux and I might need to think about an incredibly complex line. If I, if I don't think I can do that quickly enough, uh, I might actually not pick that deck for that exact reason. Um, also, of course, you know, timing out and stuff like that, but that's a whole nother, a whole nother conversation. Hayden, what about you in terms of simplicity versus, you know, decks that are going to require more mental e energy over a long tournament? Mm. So I go back to this concept of like linear versus non-linear game plans, right? And we've, we've talked about it a lot. Uh, we did a full podcast on 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 the part, uh, Arsenal Pass Patreon, but it is, I think it's tied really closely to that. This idea of deck complexity, like um, King of None talks about, you know, star of the show versus Viscerai, and Viscerai has a lot of basically Viscerai doesn't have one set game plan. You know, you might have these two kind of macro game plans that are like an OTK or a kind of more tempo based, you know, mid range aggro deck. But then within each of even those plans, you've got subsets of plans. So the OTK isn't necessarily always a, just a one turn kill. You're not just kind of mindlessly throwing out rune chance until you kill them. Often you don't kill your opponent on that turn. And then you go into the second phase of the game where the game plan shifts to this kind of like grind fest to deal the last few points of damage. Or on the flip side, you're playing this aggressive deck, but actually at some point in the game, maybe I need to take a step back and set up a turn and, um, you know, get, get this big Scalata turn happening. So there's a lot of like decision points in that. And that's, that is really taxing. It's one of the things that almost put me off playing Viscerai for Nationals. It's what put me off playing Viscerai for the Orlando calling, uh, to be honest, and a big part was just not enough preparation and not feeling comfortable in those lines. But I think to your point, like 
those those decks and those kind of styles like you just talked about the chain if i can get enough reps with that then often going into the event it isn't actually as mentally taxing there's a lot of things where play lines have come up before uh there's more intuitive decisions that i can make on certain turns and often it may feel like you know he talked about uh sorry king of none talks about viscerai being in their eyes one of the most powerful decks in the format and i agree with that but in terms of your decisions on a turn to turn basis sometimes you might make the wrong decision but the i honestly mm-hmm. think the percentage points you lose are not that massive but you can lose enough over the course of the game with your decisions that it makes the deck you know a lot harder to i guess get the wins with you know you're really taking away your percentages from wins um by by doing that so unless you know the lines inside now i think it can be really difficult to to get to a close to i guess a maximum of where you want to be this kind of principle of like some of these linear decks you can play at you know 80 90 with relative not relative ease but with reps and with understanding and with good play whereas without the reps it's really hard to play some of these these less linear decks with um without the reps and it's really hard to play them you know maybe you're sitting around like a 60 70 proficiency and that's going to lose you a lot of games right so it definitely factors into it for me but it's probably more about if i'm going to play these then i really want to understand them inside now and, and sometimes i will fall back on uh on decks that maybe have less of this uh kind of you know they're a bit easier to play so to speak i don't even see that i just see them as maybe a bit more linear to be honest i don't necessarily think they're easier to play but i think that inherent power is more raw and is a bit easier to to extract from um but yeah in, in saying that like i th- honestly think it, it just depends like i never want to play a deck unprepared anyway um you know like i wouldn't i wouldn't even pick up star of the show say this weekend and just like run it in cold i just don't think that would i'm never going to get to enough proficiency or feel good enough because i think there is you know to win mirrors to win certain matchups there's certain things that i need to understand and, and without that you know maybe it is the last 10 percent, but i don't have that so that that really does factor into me i think it's a it's honestly a big piece of it but there's more to it than just is it easy to play or is it not easy to play it's all about the experience and the time spent with it as well but i think it's kind of funny is that this uh this concept of agency is actually a two-way street it's like some decks give you a lot more agency to outplay your opponent and play optimally to an extent that gives you a higher win rate but they will also give you the inverse of that which is you have more opportunity to play yourself into a loss and to play unoptimally as well and you have to kind of look at the you know what is what is that going to look like over the course of nine twelve rounds potentially um is the delta of that just going to be a negative ev for you overall um but yeah I just think it's a it's kind of a funny concept this this idea of agency. I tend to go for decks like that myself, but um, yeah, I hope we answered that question. I think that there's like there's a lot of layers to it, you know, um, like what you spoke to Hayden, but also you know there's all the other there's all these other kind of third party factors you have to think about. Where it's like, does my deck finish the game in time? You know, can I make? Do I have to? Can I make all of my decisions ever, like in every turn in under 30 seconds or whatever it is? Like, there's a lot that goes into selecting a deck for a tournament outside of just its raw power level. I think you can make a bit of a, like a mental checklist almost. The King of Nuns talking about, you know, the complexity of a deck. I think that's a big part of it. Like, maybe you want to assign that as like, that's half of the reason I might play uh, any given deck. But then there's other things that are probably going to make up the rest of it, right? Like, you talked about how, how well can I like operate in Swiss? Uh, what are my matchups given the meta? I think. Well, how what's my proficiency with this? Like you can go through all those things, right? And then come to like a checklist of like, okay, yeah, this this uh, this deck is maybe inherently more powerful, but with my understanding of it, with my reps of the current meta, it's you know it falls below where this other deck is currently sitting for me. So you know, I and I have some experience with this deck, so I'm going to pick it up and play it. Uh, that's kind of to be honest, kind of what I did with Prism in, in week two, is I didn't have a lot of experience with Prism, but I identified that for me, I think that was the best medical for that weekend. 
I had enough sort of reps and got to play some games through the week that I felt it was, even though I had a lot of experience on the Viserai deck I played the week before, I felt like it was the right decision for the week. And, um, you know, it worked out. And I think that's a, a big way about choosing decks, to be honest. It's, it's all part of the parcel. 100%. Well, Hayden, like I said, we got a lot of data to go through this week. I think we have some very good insight on the, the current meta of Everfest and Classic Constructed. So let's go ahead and hit, head into the main topic of the pod here. Yeah, definitely. So... We're very fortunate that over this ProQuest season, we've had a lot of different people collecting data. So we've had, you know, Legend Story Studios themselves requesting data from uh, the stores running these events. So meta breakdowns, uh, the top eight breakdowns and, you know, deck lists for these winners, um, which they're then using with, along with uh, Davis Kingsley with Tower Number 9 to produce these weekly articles, which is basically a metagame breakdown uh, for the ProQuest. We've also had community-based, uh, you know, players, also producing their own data so gathering data from stores uh you know understanding which you know even like total base of like win rates um and we're going to talk about uh one of those one of those community content creators who has done that as well but even early in week one we had someone running a sheet for all the data they could gather in terms of like top eights and and conversions and things like that so there's a lot of data out there and i would even say there's maybe more than last road like the road to nationals but last yeah. time we had, you know, we had Tower Number 9, we had Davis Kings there, a really prominent figure, putting that into a, a really clean spreadsheet and being like, here's the data. Whereas now we have to wait, you know, three or four days post the weekend for, for uh, Davis to put up that article. But um, we have that data. So what I want to do, Brendan, is actually just go to start with, like, let's look at the data. Let's have a discussion about the data. Let's go to week one. Let's go to week two. And um, then let's go to a little bit of other data we have and just look at how the meta's evolved and and what we're seeing happening in terms of, meta share top eights and win percentage so should we get into it yeah let's get into it so week one if we look at week one uh percentage of overall players in week one the meta game was 22 percent bravo star of the show um and then you had next biggest being prism at 13 percent and then viscera oh sorry 14 percent viscera then prism 13 percent viscera so those are the kind of three decks for week one which I think came as no surprise, right? That's like what we talked about. That's what we, we've said in the last two podcasts and it's what we expected to happen. And then if you look at the the placings, so, you know, what was top eight in those weeks? Well, 36% of the, the top eight was Bravo. So a really big conversion rate. Uh, Prism was down on its play rate to conversion rate at 12% and Viscerai was up, you know, 14.5% to 15, you know, almost 16% in terms of top eight placings. And then you look at wins. And then so in week one, 47%, of Bravo start wins with Bravo start of the show. Prism was around uh, 15% by the looks of it. And then Viscerai struggling to convert on the wins at about just under 10%. So some really interesting points on the big three decks there. What are your kind of takeaways when you look at that from week one? My favorite takeaway from the season is that Viscerai is the, the what Prism was in Road to National season. <laughs> a lot like, of top eights. Viscera- yeah, well, not even a lot of top eights. We just see a decent amount of representation. And then... Like it converts in week one, but the conversion to top eight actually gets pretty bad in week two. And the overall conversion from top eight to win with Viscera is actually pretty terrible. <laughs> and it's like consistently happening, which is pretty funny. Uh, we actually see the opposite with Prism. So Prism is converting you know, quite well into top eights. You know, we see here in week one coming from Swiss and getting into top eight. So getting past the Swiss region, it wasn't amazing from Prism, for Prism from a statistical standpoint, but then ultimately getting the win. Uh, in that top eight, it did, you know, it did make quite a leap and looks like it performed very well. And I'm assuming that we can kind of attribute that to you know, the amount of Starvos that were in those top eights, right? Because we have almost 50% of events won by Starvo here. 
Yeah. One of my favorite stats, though, that and we get this from um, Davis's article, is the top eight conversion. So representation in the meta and then that converting into top eight, I think is one of the coolest sort of stats we have here. And I don't know if you're looking at this, Brendan, but otherwise, take a guess which... So start of the show had the, the number one uh, top eight conversion at 36 or nearly 37%. What hero do you think had the second highest conversion into top eight in week one? Um, I'm not looking, so I have to guess. Is it... Is it uh is it like a fringe deck? Is it one that is not played very much? It's not no, it's not that fringe. Is it old time? No, it's not. Uh, what is it? It's chain. And yeah, a 30, okay, nearly okay. a thirty four percent uh conversion from Swiss to top eight. And I think that's where a big part of the discussion on chain in week one came from, right? Like there was kind of the sentiment going into week two that uh, chain could be a very good pick, plays really well into Prism, which, which I agree with, but also maybe plays well into Star of the Show, which, you know, I think that might be I, I'm not 100% sure on that myself. I think that matchup is tough. But um, yeah, really surprising. I mean, there's a big drop off after that to the third highest deck in terms of that top eight conversion, uh, which ends up being, you know, Alton. Like you, you did call it. That's the third place at 27%, uh, which I think had a good week one, just played really well in Starvo in week one, and there was less Prism hanging around in week one, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the chain question week one is an interesting one. Because I, I do agree, especially in the context of what the Prism decks look like right now. And where they can't, they really cannot side into fatigue plan as efficiently as they used to be able to. And I do genuinely believe that Chain is more fatigable, if that's a word, than he was back in you know Monarch or Tales of Aria. But you know these decks are packed with so many auras and so many two blocks that you know Chain is getting past these these Prism decks. Looks like with a decent amount of ease. Um, but I I also agree with you, <laughs> having tested Chain into Starvo, that it is while it is winnable. It is quite hard. Like the husk is quite an asset against Bravo Star of the Show, but disruption just does not feel great. <laughs> you know, getting cards ripped out of your hand, and um, I think it be it can be quite rough on the chain side. There's a reason that I wanted to talk through week one, and people, you know, you might be thinking, oh, why are we talking about week one? We're in week three now, heading into week four. I think it's really important that we understand kind of the shifts that we're about to see, and we're about to talk about week week two as well. Um, but one of the last things I want to look at actually here is. So win conversion. So, uh, you know, Star of the Show has kind of dominated the statistics in week one, has 7% win conversion. So if you, you know, 7% of the players who entered with Star of the Show into a a ProQuest won a ProQuest, right? Um, Ultim is uh, the second highest at, you know, 5.5%. And then Prism at nearly 5%. So Prism had a really good week one in terms of, you know, it's showing in terms of, you know, it was the third highest played deck, uh, but in terms of, you know, win conversion, uh, and I guess actually, so win percentage, uh, it was 18.9%. So it had the second second highest win percentage uh, in the meta behind behind Star of the Show. Uh, Viserai was, you know, uh, definitely struggled in terms of win percentage. Like you said before, it was below 10%. And then top, yeah. eight, to, top eight to win, which is really interesting. So of the, the top eights, you know, how are people converting? Because you just talked about before, like who's converting on those top eights. Well, Star of the Show again dominates that with nearly 20%. Um, but actually, top eight to wins. Star of the Show isn't the highest. Uh, sorry, I did say dominate. It did well, 18%. But Prism, 23.5% almost in terms of uh, top eight to win. So those Prisms making into they were really converting, um, as was OG Bravo. But uh, very small, very small uh, count on that on that data for that one. Reasonably small. Um, larger yeah, than small. I think. Larger than I expect with this kind of conversion two number. Yeah, two wins. <laughs> well, yeah, so I mean... 
The data is pretty, I mean, the data is really interesting. And I think that getting a picture for what week one looks like heading into week two, um, it just, it tells a really important story about the flesh and blood meta and how it works and how it adapts. Um, and I think we've learned a lot specifically on like how much, you know, sometimes like influencers or big events can influence a meta. Like Bravo star of the show's performance in week one and representation is largely due to the SEG tournament that happened before then, um, where we saw that deck dominate. I, I actually didn't think that it would, uh, you know, as many people would pick it up quite as quickly uh, because it wasn't, you know, it was a new class. It was a new hero. So not only did it require testing, but it required people to own those cards. So I, I really was surprised with uh, the amount of people that were playing that deck week one. And going past that, it's the deck, you know, Bravo of the show has been resilient. <laughs> I, I expect it to be hated out of the meta quite quickly. And uh, we're looking to head into in, in Indianapolis here where, I think that it's still the deck to beat. Yeah, still going to be the most played deck. I think is um, is very true. But if so, one thing I want to talk about is like, what does the data tell you? Like, what's the story? Well, Prism had a really good showing in week one. So, and if you thought, if you take a step back and go, what happens in week two based on the data? Well, if you think Prism has a good matchup into Star of the Show, it feels like Prism is set to dominate week two at this at this point, right? Star of the Show we know is the most popular deck by far and large also in terms of just you know other raw statistics it's won the most events uh has the most top eights it's very likely going to be poised to be played heavily played and to win a lot of events again in week two and then you might say well actually is viscerai the right choice you know viscerai just based on the data is not performing that well maybe there's a few other options sitting outside there that could be you know could be worth looking at especially in terms of top eight conversion you know chain briar both did really well um in week one Let's move on. Let's talk about week two of that data, Brennan, and take a look at kind of how we shift. So in terms of the percentages of uh, overall players in week two, uh, we saw a change. So we saw Bravo slight uptick, start of the show, from 21 uh, or 22.1% to 22.5%, so very slight in terms of share, meta share. Uh, Viscerai says around about the same as well, 144 to 14.8%. Prism from 13% up to 15.2%. So like we said, probably see more Prism this week. Um, and then in terms of some of the other decks that are sitting out there that are kind of the next slot uh, sitting around there, the week prior, uh, we saw that chain was 7%. Uh, that actually drops off to 6.4%, so maybe not quite what you expect. And um, Lexi goes from 7% to 8%, so a rise in Lexi as well. So is that kind of what you would expect to see heading into week two? Honestly, the, the Lexi, I didn't expect. The rise. Um, it's only a slight yeah, rise, rise, but it's, it's a rise. Mm -hmm. And I think it's more, it's kind of at the front of my mind because in my local meta, Lexi is actually extremely popular. <laughs> like I was so surprised. I think that that what probably was the second or third most popular deck, which doesn't sound like a lot, but the jump from the fifth most popular deck to the second or third is, it's a huge jump. There were so many Lexis uh, here in Dallas, um, all different variations as well. Ice Lexi, Lightning Lexi, um, like sort of no fuse Lexi. So I think that, you know, finally, Ranger players can't complain anymore. They do have what could be, you know, a tier 1.5 or a tier 1 deck on their hands. So, mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's, it's their time. So then we look at uh, the percentage of top 8 placings. So Bravo drops off a bit here. Uh, it's 33% of the top 8s from 36. So, you know, a slight drop off, but it is a drop off to about a third of top 8s is now star of the show. Prism doubles almost, going from 11.7% to nearly 21% of the top eight placings. So, you know, if you looked at the data last week, you'd say, yeah, this is starting to make some sense. We're starting to see a story here of, of how this meta is evolving. We're starting to see the 
I guess the balance to star of the show maybe start to come out. Uh, and Viserai, you know, goes from, uh, you know, pretty tough sort of week one, what, 15.8% to 16.3%. So a bit of a rise. And Chain also uh, drops off actually from 10.4% to 8.4%. Um, and that's kind of it. Lexi drops off a little bit. And then all the fringe decks kind of about the same. You know, there's one or two here, one or two there as we head into week two. And then, then Brennan, we look at the percentage of wins, the, the one that kind of starts to tell us a bit of a story. Yeah. yeah, so we went from nearly 50% of wins in week one being Bravo Star of the Show, 47.1%. Uh, and we do see a drop off to 43.2%. So still winning a lot. But Prism went from winning about 19% to 27% of the uh, events. Viserai up to 10%, a little bit of a bump there. And uh, Chain and all the rest, sort of Lexi, those guys, they all sit around the same. Lexi actually drops, uh, sorry, Old Time actually drops off a lot from week one, where it won a couple of events to just being a, a one winner. So bit of a change there but really the story in week two is like prism it's uh, prism eating mm-hmm. into uh into star of the show it's not really we're not seeing much of a story from viscera it's kind of the same chain's kind of the same lixie's kind of the same yeah i mean prism stock uh definitely rising after the performance of starvo in week one um and i think the you know start like the starvo pick was was sticky right like people stayed on the deck after it performed correctly even though it looked like there was a deck that obviously targeted it and looked like the deck to kind of be on for that week too um like i think yeah we saw a lot of loyalty to that class heading into the you know the week after that and because of and i think as a result prism was able to overperform in terms of wins there's a really important factor as well to to play in this like in terms of overall players there is there is a barrier like there is a switching cost in flesh and blood you know if you go out and you build a deck then you know how hard is it to go and build another deck i mean it's not you know financially it's not it's not cheap you know if you're in search of legendaries especially if maybe you want to change to start the show and you need two legendary shields uh, a legendary chest a uh, legendary helm and you know majestics uh, to fill out the deck like that's that's not an easy there's a there's a definitely a barrier to change and switching costs so i think that's something really important to think about we're not going to see immediate like changes of meta overnight from week to week in terms of 15 20 percent but five six percent that is a big change in terms of like both win percentage and representation uh because when you think about players are going to play the decks they know players have only you know we've only got certain decks that we can play um that is a real thing to consider so when you start to factor those things in you know four five six percent that is actually that is a significant change it's not small at all no definitely not and i mean there's more to that switch as well right we obviously have the financial barrier but also time investment i mean you have one you could potentially have one week to learn an entirely new class which is honestly it's that's not the hard part the hard part is kind of being prepared for all of the matchups i mean that takes a lot of time especially when we have to start thinking about some of the fringe stuff like when you now you have to include like ice lexi like your game plan to this tax deck which can look very different than pretty much your game plan to like everything else so yeah finding the finding the time to develop you know, correct cyborg plans, build the deck, and be prepared. Uh, a week is a—it's uh, pretty short. Yep. So, want to talk about some of these stats because things start to tighten up when we look at top eight conversion this week. So, uh, start of the show, still, still very good top eight uh, conversion. So, forty percent. I mean, that is that actually is that bigger than last week? Uh, that ends up being, yeah. It's a, so it's a higher top eight conversion. So. You know that's that's a significant thing that's happening although prism ends up up in one shares the topic conversion actually started the show less players this week but uh you know more players getting into top eight or a higher percentage getting into top eight this array picks it up a bit in top eight conversion 29 percent 
uh, 30, 35 and a half, 36% basically for Prism. So, you know, a strong showing there and also chains kind of the other one as well with a 34% conversion. Um, any, any kind of disappointing ones? Well, Bolton 17 17.5%. It's, you know, somewhat surprising. Uh, Briar drops back to 20%. And then, you know, things like uh, Elixi 14.5% really struggle. So although showing out, same with Alton 14.5% struggling to get into that, break into that top eight. And you look at win conversion, which I think is, is always very interesting. So it ends up being, you know, star of the show is there. Six and a half percent is the, the top dog in terms of win percentage again. Uh, sorry, win conversion. But Prism, now six percent. So just behind star of the show in terms of how it's converting into wins. Um, and Viserai at 3.8%. So those are the those are the three. And we see Chain back at 2.6% kind of behind there. And then top eight to win. All right, so if you make it a top eight, who's winning? Katsu. <laughs> Katsu with the yeah, highest uh, getting his top 8 converting on wins 18% of uh, of conversion in terms of top 8 to win but then you know again a bit of a small sample size there star of the show uh, 16.7 and then prism just behind in 16.5 so we're really seeing it start to start to tighten up and change and then Bolton at 14 and Viserai at 13 yeah so Hayden when you look at when you like we talked about a lot of numbers there but like let's bring this out to yes. sort of the aggregate yeah. break it down right what does this tell you like what I see is we have three dominant decks and I think that we're as close as we've ever been to a rock paper scissors format in flesh and blood like we have this sort of and this is obviously not how it goes every time Starvo beats Viserai Prism beats Starvo Viserai beats Prism right and that's what we see kind of play out and there's all this little kind of these other decks that you know kind of try to navigate in between that as well chain being the one that's most most significantly represented like it's an interesting format this is for me this has been the hardest one to sort of navigate i think as a player um because I, like these representations like we can look at the data and like you you have some clear takeaways but sometimes like your local meta can make what looks to be the right pick just the absolutely wrong pick. So for instance, on my end, like I remember showing up to week one and or I think it was week two. Yeah, it was week two because I wasn't able to play week one. And there was no there I I, I think I saw one Starvo in the entire event. Everybody else was on Prism, which is just not indicative of this data at all. So just definitely a local format kind of thing. And if I had, you know, I had brought uh I brought Prism try and prey on the starvos and i ended up playing against you know a ton of chains and other prisms um but hayden for you how are you looking at kind of taking this data and attacking it right like how do you how do you decide what deck to pick um you haven't played starvo yet right you swap you swapped you played a lot of decks you've played gotten the win on visera the win on prism and uh you know we can call it almost a win on uh i Levia. won a game on livia so <laughs> i won a game on Levia. So like, but you haven't played Starvo yet, right? So out of out of the out of the out of the big three, you know, you, there's one that you haven't you haven't put much time into. Why is that? And just tell me a little bit about your how you're breaking down um, this data and preparing for, you know, these matches week by week. Yeah. So I'm going to come back to the question on Starvo. Remind me. I want to talk a little bit about the data first and how to break that down. The first thing I want to point out because you just made a good point about local meters. If you look at week two, overall percentage of players, and you add up those big three that we just talked about, you know, the Prism, the Viserai, and the star of the show, uh, what you're actually looking at is just over half of the field. There's another half of the field. You know, it's not just those three decks. So you do have to factor the fact that even if it, even if you believe based on one percentage, you know, if you actually look at it, then you're 50% of the players are those three. 
But then as you get through maybe into rounds four, five, six, top eight, then it's a high percentage of those three for sure. But at some point, you're going to have to play these other decks, whether it be in like round one to three, maybe more likely. But even still in the later rounds, we saw Bolton and Kaltu both have really good performances uh, this week as well. Chain and Briar are still around there. There's still another half to this meta. So when I look at the starter, that's actually the biggest thing I take away, honestly, is that, um, and I learned that lesson the hard way on Saturday when I played Livia, is that my first two rounds, I didn't play into one of the two top decks that I was really tuned to face. And I suffered for it hard because I just wasn't prepared for it. I didn't have the, I mean, had game plans but they weren't good enough to beat those decks uh and that's actually what i think you need to take from the starter is that we're not we're not seeing 70 percent representation by the big three decks we're seeing 50 to 55 percent representation um by these big three decks and yes they're winning a lot but they're the best three decks in the format is probably what you'd say right now so yeah in terms of that what am i seeing other than that well i'm seeing the shifting the story we talked about the shifting story prism has started to you know really start to com- come in and combat um bravo star of the show viscerae is still there and winning games and winning events but maybe the percentage talks to just how complicated that deck is you know maybe there's a bit of story behind that data and then i'm looking at some of these decks that are sitting in and around there these heroes that are sitting in and around their chains briars they're, they are putting up results in there they're in the meta and they're seeing top eights maybe less so in win shares but what are they doing what are they trying to actively prey on um and then that kind of takes me to i guess where i say all right, based on the two weeks of data and then what I've seen this week and week three as well, we will get the data for that shortly. What does that mean? Well, I want to be able to make sure that I can combat the the top three. And then I want to make sure that I have game into some of these other decks. It doesn't need to be all of them. Maybe I pop in, you know, I peer into Lexi and that's a bad matchup for me is what it is. Or I peer into Chain, that's a bad matchup for me. But that's kind of the decision to play Prism in week two for me was you know, I knew Chain was a bad matchup. I knew Briar was a, a not a great matchup, but I felt confident in you know playing against the other two, sort of the big big three of the big two. Um, sorry, the big two of the big three, and plus some of the more fringe decks as well, just because of the raw power of it. So basically, if I'm heading into this last week of ProQuest based on this data, I want a deck that has raw power that I can play into a wide format because we are in a wide meta. Doesn't the data tells you that? And also something that's going to be able to play favorably at least into two of the big and you know maybe i can flip slash win some of my games against the third of the big three so maybe for the first time ever in history my goldfish my goldfish brain has not forgotten why have you not played starvo so i think that starvo is reasonable bravo star the show is reasonable i don't love a lot of the deck lists right now uh because i think it's quite i actually think they're pretty targetable um i think i don't want to play i actually think your matchup into prism is really bad as most of these elemental star of the show lists and i don't want to play i actually think it's one of the worst matchups of the big three so i think this for instance can um sort of play into star of the show and can win pretty consistently but i don't think it's necessarily favored uh, i think into prism you're like favored but not heavily favored and then for Prism, I, likewise, I think you have a really good matchup at the start of the show and you have, you know, like you can win into Viscerai. It's not completely terrible for you. But I honestly feel playing Star of the Show, and it's not that I haven't touched this deck and played with it. I've played quite a few games with this, with the Star of the Show, different versions, elemental versions. I've played some more slower control versions as well. I think trying to beat Prism is just such a tough ask, especially against a, a you know, a competent and, and a skilled Prism player. So honestly, that that's the reason. I just don't want to take a, you talked about before about having lines and being able to have a deck that's, you know good into the field um i personally don't feel that star of the show is that deck yes you can like you have these nuts hands right maybe you you get a pulse early and you get to hold it and you get to come in um but into prism like as long as they they draw auras and they're able to soak up some of that pressure it's still really hard to win and if i'm winning 30 percent of games against prism 
I don't really think that's where I want to be on a, a deck in this meta right now. Do you think that you may also not be very enthusiastic about playing the Bravo Star of the Show Mirror as well? Uh, no, I actually think that's one of the more enjoyable matchups. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I actually, I actually don't, like of the mirrors I've played so far. Uh, I haven't hated it to be honest. I've liked those matchups. I honestly like. It, I don't hate. I think I've said it before. We've talked. We had a bit of a discussion about this. I don't hate the design of the hero. I think it has a, a really cool thing. I think there's you have to offset being able to activate that ability by having some cards that are weaker in isolation in the deck, but are really powerful in that kind of shell that you play out. Uh, but yeah, honestly, it is that big thing of like having a, a deck that I think is a big sort of underdog or a big dog to one of the best decks in the format. And I think maybe, spoiler for what we get to, but I think maybe the best deck to, to play right now, the best deck in the format in Prism. Yeah, I think that, yeah, it's funny. I was, I felt pretty confident that Viserai was going to be the best deck this format, but just with Starvo sticking around, regardless of Prism's rep- representation and uh, sort of success, I less and less want to be playing playing Viserai. I, I do quite enjoy the Viserai matchup into Prism. Um, I don't find it ex- very enjoyable into Bravo. Speaking, kind of going back to the Command and Cookout section, I don't feel like I have a lot of agency um, in that matchup. And then I also hate the Viserai mirror. That mirror sucks. <laughs> that mirror is genuinely terrible um, and is quite, quite... Uh, Quite, there's a, quite a bit of variance around who draws uh, Mordred Tides, per se. But um, yeah, I mean, for me, I'm, I'm, I'm also looking at the same thing. I mean, Prism is the deck that I want to be on. I also have the most fun playing Prism. Like, Prism <clears throat> getting, getting new tools and ex- like kind of flushing out this Aura Prism archetype, it's, it's actually fun. Uh, it's, it's quite complex, and I genuinely enjoy the deck. I'm guessing your reason for playing Star of the Show might be different to mine, then? For not playing Star of the Show, sorry. For not playing Star of the Show. So I've also played quite a bit of Star of the Show in testing. Um, but yeah, I don't like playing decks where I think I'm genuinely unfavored into one of the most popular decks in the format. Like, I feel like the Prism matchup is quite bad, right? And um, I know I was talking to my friend Rob, Rob Seigel from Tolerian Dropouts. Um, he actually, you know, he had said that he was on a, a Bravo list this weekend that was quite you know, it was a bit better in the prism and then he was able to actually take take down a win. But, you know, previous prior to that, like the list that I've been playing, they were genuinely cool. <laughs> they were quite terrible unless you high rolled in the prism. So it, it's just not it's honestly it's never what I strive for. I, I've never played one of those decks yet in flesh and blood. I might in the situation of something like a pro tour, but for events like this, yeah, I, I'm not gonna be playing a deck like that that I feel like can be targeted and just has what I feel like is a very bad matchup into the second most popular deck Mm -hmm. i want to stay away from numbers from the rest of this because i've I've said a lot of numbers in this but i I think it was you know important to get a handle on where we've gone and where the story is and that the numbers are star of the show the numbers are prison coming through the numbers are that viscerai is okay but not stand out and that there is decks that are coming and performing chain had a phenomenal week one had a pretty strong week two there is there is things coming out there but the i guess the question i'll ask you brendan is what's behind the data like We've inferred a few things, but what are the things that the data is actually not telling you, do you think? So uh, one for me is that I think Viserai's performance is really contingent on the fact that I think that deck is really hard to play. I think you have a lot of like close matchups and you'll lose a lot of 50-50s just from maybe some misplays or incorrect sequencings of lines and things like that. And I think that is detrimental to, it's something that we're not seeing portrayed in the data is that Viserai is a very difficult deck to play. Do you have any other sort of 
insights maybe that are things behind the data um and when it comes to just what we've seen from this format so far yeah i mean honestly from the data it looks like it looks like prism is good into starvo but not good enough right not good enough to actually hate him out of the format um and i thought that the power level was was near that right like i think if we were at a more curated event like you would see starvo's really struggle into people you know picking prism to try and target that deck but the the starvo deck is like the players that have been on it it's been very sticky like i said they they've stuck to it it's it's performed consistently well and it's hanging around which i really didn't expect um and i think the data shows that that's going to keep happening um until some sort of i think until the next big event like maybe indy indianapolis could show could could change that but i think for now for the rest of proquest Bravo Star of the Show will be the number one deck. It'll be the top represented deck. It'll be the top converting deck. But I think if in Indianapolis we get to a top eight where there's almost no Starvo or Starvo really struggles because people, you know, are targeting that event or targeting that deck in a sort of a pro level um, situation or tournament, then we could see people swap off of it. But for now, I think that, you know, he's the, he's the top dog right now. There's only more to come. Yeah, I think one thing that we're going to see continue... Uh, this pattern in flesh and blood is that the most powerful linear deck in the format be heavily represented heavily played and do well uh, and i don't honestly don't think that's going to change i think i've said this before i don't think it's going to change anytime soon and star of the show i think is that for this current meta do i think another more powerful linear strategy could take over maybe but it, it would probably would have the thing with these linear strategies is they often kind of come to the surface pretty early um you know we had Lightning Brian in the last format, which was like one of the, I guess the format's worst keep secret heading into into that uh, Orlando weekend. You had Dash in a, a prior format. You had Chain, of course, which maybe had a little bit more nuance to it, but at its core root of how people were playing it was a very linear, aggressive deck. So um, I don't see that changing. But what I do see is that, and part of that, part of that, I guess, behind the data is I think it has the one of the best matchup spreads, right? Like it's just its raw power is going to do well into whatever, I don't know, uh, Joe brings to the armory this week and then into the pro quest you know like i think that is gonna is gonna happen um so prism on the other hand targets the best deck a bit more you know and you know has a very favorable matchup to in my eyes but maybe its matchup spread isn't as good uh and has you know trouble in some of these aggressive decks and those are going to be there because as we talked about you know just under 50 percent of the meta is other things that aren't the big three and we're going to get to continue to see those and that isn't just isn't really going to change i don't think I, I we're heading into week four this week i don't think the big three are going to make up more than they did in week one or week two. I do like my biggest takeaway. Um, and I've been sort of formulating this thesis through the past few formats. And I think it's really important. Um, so outside of like I mean. very big, outside of very big events like national championships. And even in that case, the meta is always simpler than you think to predict. Like I spent way too much time trying to overcomplicate it target the deck that targets the deck, have good matchups across the board, and prepare for other people to try to, you know, heavily innovate on a mass scale, right? Like really, really, you know, swap over to like in this case, what would be Prism, because it, it does seem like it's clear, right? I've consistently been wrong almost every single time. It's always much simpler than that. There's a big event, there's a deck that looks dominant and it wins. If it's a linear deck and it's easy to play, that deck will be 
massively represented and almost everybody will be on it. It's happened every single time. Like even back in, even back in road to nationals, I remember how just ridiculous the data was to say, don't play prism. Like the number said that that was a, just a horrible deck to be on, but people kept sticking to it because prism had had some, you know, some success before. And then ultimately saw win in Vegas. I'm not saying these things can't change, you know, in the end, but you know, okay. So we have, uh, you know, Matt Fox win with Lightning Briar on stream, and then boom, it's it's so predictable. Hayden, you were in Orlando with me. You know, Nationals heavily Lightning Briar, Orlando the day after heavily Lightning Briar. Now in this case, we had SEG with Starvo, um, many Starvos in the stop, in the top eight, and then there it is again. I think it's just if you're trying to target the you know the meta for these things like ProQuest, Road to Nationals, even Callings, it's just a lot simpler. Just keep it simple, right? It's pretty consistent what people will be on, what they'll be playing. And I think you just really need to have a good matchup into that. And if you can round out your, you know, the rest of your matchups into whatever else you can run into, maybe the fringe decks as well, then you're in a good spot. So, you know, moving forward, I'm just going to, I'm not going to overcomplicate it because it's, it's hurt me throughout this, uh, this past year. I think it's a good call. I talked about last week, you know, I said Prism, I think very strong deck. Is it the deck I would play this weekend? Maybe not. But maybe that's, like you say, overcomplicating things because Prism is good into the top deck in the format and has just a pretty strong game plan. Has a, you know, has a very good plan A and is pretty, has a pretty reasonable spread. I talked about, you know, like Chain and Briar. One of the reasons I wouldn't play Chain right now is I think that, yeah, maybe you prey on the deck that beats the deck, right? Like you have a good matchup into Prism. What are your other matchups like? Your plan A is like pretty strong, but I don't think it's as strong as, say, Briar or Viserai or Star of the Show or Prism, in fact. Um, so I think you can game yourself into maybe playing some of these decks, like you say, and then you might not play those decks. You could go through calling indie on day one and not see a star of the show. Like it's not actually, uh, sorry, a prism. It's not out of this world, right? To, for that to happen. If, if prism ends up being 20% of the meta, that's not actually yeah. that crazy if you don't see one on day one. So I think it's really important to understand it. That said though, let's talk about next. What's next. We've got week four of ProQuest, and then we're into Indianapolis. Do you see innovation? Like you said, you know, I said I don't think, expect to see the meta shift much, but do you expect to see some innovations coming? Like, are people going to start to at least maybe find some decks that can spike spike tournaments? Maybe they are bad in Star of the Show, but they target all the other decks that uh, are running around, things like that. For something like The Calling, Indianapolis, I think no. Uh, I can't, I obviously cannot, you know, I can't make a prediction that encompasses like some sort of Black Swan deck that just comes out of nowhere and is completely innovative and it just beats everything. Uh, but I do think that there will not be much de deviation from the data right now, right? So the data now in week three, coming towards the end of ProQuest, which I think that there's plenty of time for it to change. But in this case, and in the case of Flesh and Blood, I don't think it'll change very much. I think it'll be Starvo, Prism. We're gonna, I think Viscerai is going to drop off more. I, I honestly do. Um, I think Alexia will rise a bit. Other than that, I think that it's going to be very predictable. It's going to look quite similar to what we see right now in ProQuest season. What about okay. you? Yeah, I, I do. I think, could, will Viscerai drop off? That's a good question. Uh, I think Viscerai might a little bit and might be represented by a couple of the other Runeblades. Like maybe players will change from Runeblade to Runeblade, or maybe they might jump on something that's, uh, you know, maybe they just even up jumping up to the start of the show. Not sure. But yeah, I could see, I could see that happening to a degree. Yeah, I'm. Uh, I would say, right now, I can even call it. I would say I'm ninety percent, ninety five percent to play Prism in Indianapolis. Oh really? Wow. Okay. Yep. Yep. I mean, what else would I play? Right. 
Like, give me another deck that you think is is a better pick, or even potentially a better pick than Prism right now. And we can even extrapolate it to two weeks. So there is a bit of an unknown here. You know, the data the, the data can change, of course. But I think right now, almost unequivocally, Prism is going to be the best pick for me heading into Indianapolis. Because like I said, I don't expect this to change very much. I expect the meta to remain pretty much the same, but I expect Viscera to fall off a bit and Lexi to rise a bit. Yeah, I and think my, this- probably like you said, deriv- derivatives of Viscera yeah. as well. People hopping onto other Runeblades. Uh, I think Viscerai is still a good pick. I think Star of the Show mm-hmm. is still a good pick. But uh, I know you, like we talked about, there's reasons that probably none of us would play Star of the Show because of. I just think it's hard to win an event with that deck unless you get the right top eight bracket or, um, you know. And on the flip side of that, I think, like you say, Prism can do that a lot, potentially a lot better. So, yeah, I mean, Viscerai would be the one that I put it, put in the ring, I guess, in terms of what could compete for maybe the deck that. Like, if I was going to Indianapolis, I think I would either be playing. Bravo Star, uh, sorry, Prism or, or Viscerai. I think it'd be the two decks I play, and and like an outside chance that I would play Briar, but I think a really that's a really small outside chance because, like you say, I think that's probably just trying to game the metagame too much, and I don't think Briar has a good enough matchup into Star of the Show to be honest. I think that matchup is pretty hard, uh, so I think playing that deck is like kind of a no-no for me right now, unfortunately. As much as I think Briar is really good into a lot of the rest of the meta, yeah. So with with kind of like I said, ninety-five percent that other. The- I think the rest of that 5% is me audibling to uh, either Viscerai or maybe another aggro deck, right? But other than that, it, yeah, I, I'm pretty much... It looks like... I think I, like mentally I'm locked into Prism right now. Mm-hmm. I would play Star of the Show, but I would, uh, I would need to have a list that I feel can compete better into Prism. Um, which I'm not sure what yeah, right now. to be fair, I don't think that either of us has worked too hard on no. innovating yeah, that list, so... Like, I don't think that that's strictly the incorrect deck to play, or it's just Agreed. a deck that's not on my radar right now, because I don't, <laughs> I don't want to be burdened with trying to fix that Prism matchup. I don't think that it's, it's good enough. Um, like, it's like, okay, if I can get a, a little bit of, more of a margin against Prism, is this still the deck I want to be on? Um, and I think, no. Like, I don't, I don't think that that's enough for me. Yep, yep. I think there's a long way to go to have a list that I'd be happy with. Anyway, that's it, Brendan. I want to, you know, something that we, we never do, but we're going to do it because we're at the end of, uh, I guess, the first part of the Everfest season. I'm going to do a tier list. Oh, good. Together. We're going to do just a bit of where we, th- what, where we think heroes are sitting right now in terms of tiers. And this is based on fully our opinion. This isn't even, we're not even looking at the data necessarily, although we can take the data into account with how we feel. Obviously, there's some really important information there. Um, but also where we feel that these decks play into what we basically this tier list for me is what we expect to be in Indianapolis. We've just talked about that a bit. We expect the big three to really be represented, but the field to still be somewhat open with probably around 40% of the, the meta making up other decks. So, you know, let's, let's, let's talk about it. What do you think sure. are tier one decks in this format right now? Yeah. So tier one is three decks, right? We have Bravo Star of the show, we have Prism and I think Viscera as well. It's the big three. It's the big three. Because the data would say yeah. maybe it's just the two, right? It's just Prism yeah. and the start of the show. It looks like it, right? I mean, Viscera is still there. It's still it's still putting up wins. Um, but yeah, I mean, Viscera, out of, out of those three, there's only one that in my mind that has a potential to fall out of that tier one range. Um, and maybe to like a tier 1.5, not even that far. And that's Viscera. Prism mm-hmm. and Starvo, I don't see it. Cool. They're locked in. 
I, I agree. I think the the reason for that Visceral is going to definitely stay there for me at this while we're doing this exercise is what I talked about before, beyond the data. I think you just aren't seeing just how complicated. I think Visceral is the hardest of those three decks to play and play well. I think Prism is actually harder than people think maybe to play, but is, uh, you know, Visceral is definitely in that camp. So yeah, I would agree. All right, tier two. So these decks are, you know, competitive. They were going to show up in Indianapolis, we think, and, and probably do well. You know, we might even see a copy of one of one or two of these in the top eight. Uh, tier two decks, Brennan. Yeah. Um, so I think Lexi is, it can potentially encroach on tier 1.5, <laughs> you know, but I do think it's a tier two. It's a tier two deck. I think the deck is so strong. The, like the, what's so good about Lexi is that you sit across from a Lexi, like you have to hedge for two, like two and kind of even three, three. wildly different scenarios. Yeah. Wildly different scenarios. So it's tough. Um, I think that gives Lexi a big edge. And then after that, it's just the rune blade package for me. It's going to be Briar and chain. Um, those decks are still very proactive. They're very strong. And just, yeah, I mean, Runeblade power level is currently at a point where I think that they're almost guaranteed to be uh, tier two and above. I think, um, yeah, I agree. I think for me, I again, I think Briar is like kind of my dark horse for this format. I think your Starbo matchup is not great, but if someone can fix that and uh, they come up with a, you know, they show up with a strong Briar list, I think they're going to do well. And I think... They could even top eight or, you know, potentially win the event. Like, Briar is, I'm calling now the dark horse for me for this event. I think it's very good. Lexi, I think, is in and around there. Um, my problem with Lexi in this format and why I don't think it's going to get to tier one for me anytime soon in terms of where the meta is right now, unless it shifts heavily, is that it's really hard to be good into, I think, honestly, like two of the three. I think you can be good into one and then have a decent matchup against another one, but then I think your matchup's going to be quite bad against the third one, just based on how you can look at an ice-based deck, you can look at this, like, fuseless um, kind of aggro deck, or you can look at, like, a lightning deck that has more on-hit effects, but is damage. I think it's really hard to, to play into enough of the things that can target two decks, so that's the reason Lexi sits there for me. And then Chain, honestly, Chain can fall to tier three for me. I, I just don't think Chain's a very good deck. <laughs> I think I that uh, our bias, like, our... I don't know. It's hard for me to... I think that when I evaluate chain, when I think about it, I have an opinion. I just have to remember that I'm kind of a chain boomer these days. Like, I, the way that we enjoyed playing chain and why we appreciated chain's power level is uh, wasn't necessarily just, you know, getting a card every now and then and, you know, flipping six, getting, you know, two off of it and just kind of seeing where they land. So I think that the play style is just wildly different these days. And it's hard for me to give a, a fair opinion on it, so I just don't. <laughs> yeah, that's fine. That's fine. I, I look. I, I think people can are going to disagree with me and, and prove me wrong. And Chain's still going to do well. Uh, I just feel like that deck is significantly underpowered compared to other things. I mean, Invert Existence is a very good card, and you have access to Husk, and there's certain things that are going for Chain. Um, but yeah, I, I just think if I'm going to play an aggressive Runeblade deck right now, it's going to be Briar, or it's going to be uh, an iteration of Viserai. Anyway, tier three, you know, these are decks that uh, may be playable, kind of sit around the fringes, win some, still win some pro quests this weekend probably, and um, have a reasonable time into part of the meta. I think for me, it's probably, Katsu is, is probably rising for me. Um, I think we start to see a bit better, more refined lists of Katsu and, and you know, a super aggressive deck with on-hit effects is, is never going to be bad considering the decks that are doing well right now. Prism, star of the show, uh, Viserai. And then I think it's probably Ultim, Reinar, Dash, and the OG Bravo. I would, uh, I'd agree with that. Um, 
I'm interested to see where old him lands, especially if Prism you know, does start to kind of raise in stock, because I know that matchup is quite tough. And Dash, I haven't seen a lot of it myself, but it does seem like it has potential, for sure. Um, anyway, let's talk about the Tier 4. Let's talk about what's going to piss people off. <laughs> uh, I mean, it's everything else. Bolton, Azalea, Dorian, Livia, and Kana for me. Saber Bolton down there? Oh my god. Let's take out our pitch for Satan. What did you just say? Could be tier three. So, <laughs> yeah, people I mean people people love their Saber Bolton. Um gosh, that has to be a rough match. I feel like that has to be a rough matchup in the Starvo, because they I mean, there can't be a matchup where it's easier to just hold the freaking pulse and then just go back to back and back than this like uh this other deck that's trying to execute an FTK plan, but probably has a bit less consistency and some, to an extent a bit less speed than than Viscerai. So I think it's, I don't know. I would have to, I haven't played it enough, but I know I've seen, I've seen a lot of uh, Bolton Saber disciples online that are saying that that's, uh, that's the dark horse of this format. Hayden, do you agree? I want to uh, get, get you locked in. Could be, could be. I, I actually, you know, I'll put in tier three. I'll raise it up. Bolton Saber's tier three. I, it has a powerful plan A, right? Like you have this powerful game plan and it might not line up as favorably into the current format as maybe you wanted to, but at the end of the day, it can do a powerful thing. I haven't seen people messing around with uh, Oath, the new card from Everfest, as much as I thought, but I did see uh, at a ProQuest on week one, someone across the table from me, like, have Oath plus two uh, Lunar Ascension. I was like, oh, that's actually pretty, pretty good. Um, so, yeah, look, and it, it top-aided uh, the ProQuest on Saturday that I played Livia at um, with a, a player who plays a lot of Bolton Sabres and continues to do well with that deck in our local meta and is a very good player. So, look, I yeah, shout out to Tom. I... I I can see it, you know, spiking something, doing well. It's been winning events, especially in Europe. So, yeah. Yeah, the Europeans love it. Um, all right, Hayden. That's not the end, though. It's not? Now, okay. No. What do you think of Everfest from a game design perspective, now that you've been able to experience it and kind of, you know, get a little deeper? Um, get a little deeper in terms of your understanding, playing with the cards, things like that. Do you think it's... I think it's a good set design. Um, before we were criticizing it for not being on the, you know, sort of the same level as Crucible of War. What do you think now that you've played with the cards? And then I know I asked you a lot of questions already, but finally, do you think that this format is fun? Are you having fun? Oh, good questions. Okay, uh, what I think of Everfest design. First of all, I do I do not think it is as good a set as Crucible. I think that's it's a really hard. I think Crucible might be the best set so far in Flesh and Blood. Like that's a really hard ask to get to Crucible's level. I think um it, it added so much to the game it changed the way that so many heroes could play it, it introduced us to these these majestic equipment which have such you know strong but i think like quite well balanced effects um it introduced you know staple commons and rares into the game as well i think it's really tough ask to be better than than crucible but i think everfest is doing its best to to be in and around that ballpark um i think the design for the most part is good i think a couple of classes got left on the cutting room floor unfortunately uh shout out to you know brute um but yeah i think i think overall they've done a pretty pretty good job with the design of everfest there's definitely things i think could be better in terms of the the way that it might impact the format but i also think that we are we're not all the way down the well with this format right like i think there's still things to explore and innovate on and i'll go back to cards like earth or earth or bounty like we have not seen that card uh, come around and i think that card is very powerful i think there's other majestics and certain cards we haven't seen you know have their time in the sun yet and with crucible that was the same right with other sets we've we've picked on these cards before and be like, this card's powerful 
but it just doesn't quite line up at that time or it doesn't quite work in the meta or there's just not quite the support package for it yet um but i i think that is there's still enough of those around there rain raises like there is these cards around there that i think are, are good enough to, to potentially impact the format and we haven't seen something yet so yeah from that that regard i would say pretty 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 good uh, you know i'm not i'm not uh disliking it that's for sure so i guess enjoyability like how much am i enjoying the the format uh, yeah. quite a bit i would say i think it's i think it is quite a fun format to be honest uh i really enjoy playing into bravo star of the show to be honest i know people are like oh he clearly hasn't been oak and old fuse three times in a row enough things like that uh i i think there's ways to target this deck i think there's ways to play into it uh it's people call it a casino deck it's it's not really like you know you are pretty likely to hit this hero ability especially once you get to a point in a game where you can hold a pulse into certain matchups the job then is to make sure that they can't hold a pulse. The job is to make sure that you, you put pressure on this or have a game plan around that, go around it. Um, and I think there's multiple decks that can do that. So yeah, I've enjoyed it. I've enjoyed playing multiple decks in this format. I think it could be more enjoyable. I think some of these these fringe decks could be a bit better. You know, I think it is like Star of the Show is a meta check right now, um, which is maybe a bit more powerful than I would like, for sure, in terms of a bit more of a check. Uh, I would hope that Prism starts to, you know, increase even a bit more just to to make some other decks more viable. These ones that don't have good matchups into into Bravo Star of the Show. Um, but yeah, I think there's there's also you can look at some of these fringe decks and you can tune and and probably get yourself to have somewhat of a close matchup with Star of the Show without impacting your game plan too much. I think which is is quite cool. And I think there's more for us to find and discover. But I mean, I've been going to these ProQuests. I've I set on saturday night and thought oh you know what maybe i won't go to this pro quest tomorrow it's two and a half hours away 20 minutes later i was like no i'm definitely going i'm enjoying this format i want to play more flesh and blood right now i want to play more competitive games of class constructed yeah how many uh how many potions you've been putting in your decks <laughs> i knew you're gonna bring this up uh <clears throat> none so far but i'll tell you what talisman of warfare the card is very good yeah I feel like uh, I feel like thirty percent or so of the set was actually just designed around these potions, and <laughs> yeah, we'll see. You know, I thought I thought like I was like, okay, you know, Briar power level brought down, Plunder Road banned, so overall aggro archetype probably worse. Maybe we can, you know, we'll start seeing some use out of these potions. Obviously, there's some that are very good, um, specifically in Blitz and things like that, but um, and even in Class Constructed, like you said, Talisman of Warfare very popular. There's a lot of others though that are weird. Right. Um, the cost of having a potion in your deck, at least in all of the metas that have ever existed in Flesh and Blood, has been extremely high. The zero block card. So, feels like a weird design. Um, I'm with you, though, in terms of Everfest. Its identity is lacking. Everfest, cool. every card was a story, right? Every card was a Crucible. story. Crucible. And yeah, sorry. <laughs> Definitely Crucible. Yeah. Every card was a story. And I felt like there's a lot of design and sort of kind of. I don't know, a lot more, I wouldn't say thought, but like <laughs> intention behind that set. Uh, and I feel like, you know, we're even still discovering kind of some of those cards from that era. Everfest uh, was just a bit more flat for me. And I think in its execution as well. So like, you know, when we actually started playing with the cards, that is ultimately how it played out. Um, but I do think that if your class was one of the big winners, that is a quite good, quite a good set. I think for like for Illusionist, the set was incredible, right? This is what Illusionist needed. This went from being one of my least favorite classes in the game from a gameplay perspective to one of my favorite. Yeah, I agree. Um, so I think there's a big win with that one, and some other, you know, some other classes got got upgrades as well. And like you said, that came at the cost. 
with some being left on the cutting room floor. Nevertheless, you know, flesh and blood is an incredible spot, especially for competitive play. We have calling coming up, then the pro tour, the first pro tour, which is going to be incredible. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm just kind of realizing like the, how daunting that's going to be as we sort of sit here and analyze the meta on a week to week basis. Um, but I'm excited. I think every, we're in a great spot either way. Um, but yeah, just want to, like, wanted to get your thoughts on, you know, if you're having fun, because I know the community is very, very active with their opinion on Everfest so yeah. far. <clears throat> Which is fair. I get that. You know what? I actually completely, you know what? I completely forgot about the potions. <laughs> I might have to, I might have to dock <laughs> yeah. my uh, grand Everfest so far, but it's one of those things where it's going to be nothing and it's going to be a whatever until it's not. And then it's going to yeah. be something and then which is fair yeah like yeah, that's which, fine yeah let's see what happens but that also you know that could be not a positive but we'll, <laughs> we'll see <laughs> yeah for sure all right hayden well good talk uh there is no google review <laughs> this pod uh we haven't gotten any more google reviews get them so in, maybe get them in. make make britain laugh yeah. you know please make me laugh with these google reviews you can't i can't even like tell you in words my immeasurable sadness is i go to find a skew girl view for the podcast and there's nothing there it is truly a bad feeling but anyway um yeah i'm excited hayden moving into moving into this next week i may be going to oklahoma i may be staying here turns out there is a tournament down here in dallas it is not a pro quest but it is a 1k class constructed and then a 1k blitz the next day which is ridiculous um so might be going to that but yeah hayden why don't you go ahead and uh why don't you close it out for us so just before we wrap it up, uh, we will be back with some more videos on YouTube uh, for the last couple weeks. It has been a bit quieter as we've been working with LSS on these fab TCG gauntlet videos, which we've, again, loved to do. Uh, but we'll be back with a few videos. We have done a couple of deck ticks over the season already. I'm sure we'll be doing more. You can follow us both on Twitter. Come and engage with us. Tweet at us. Uh, you know, join the, the Twitter community of Flesh and Blood. It's, it's actually, you know what, I had some reservations about Twitter. It's actually a great community. I'm, I'm loving it. Brendan is at Brendan APG and I am at Fian underscore Dale. Uh, all fab related things and some non fab related things. Patreon, big thanks to all of our patrons uh, and all that you enable us to continue to do to, you know, our, our Discord community as well uh, with our patrons. Thank you very much for engaging and being a part of that. And it's our, our AP family that we have. And uh, other than that, Brendan, I'm going to be watching the coverage for Calling Indy in two weeks. So if people are hanging around for that, I'm sure we'll be able to set up a bit of a watch party. Come and join along. I can't wait to see Brendan on camera again. I've requested round one on camera for Brendan. No problem. Let's no see problem. what happens. Can't, can't lose. Never, never could, never will. You know, easy money camera games. Everything else was just... I was trying to weave this narrative of me uh, having bad luck on camera just so that I could, uh, you know, call it the big dub and surprise everybody when it matters, you know? All right. Well, we'll see what happens. Until next time, we'll see you later.